Welcome to the Restore Body Balance Podcast, where we take an integrative approach combining psychology, biology, and neurology to enact life changes that stick. I'm Colleen Burns, licensed psychotherapist and founder of Restore Body Balance. And I'm Nico Yatanis, co-producer of this podcast. In today's episode, we will discuss taking a mental break, how to thrive even when life feels hard, and dealing with burnout. And before we get started, be sure to follow the Restore Body Balance Instagram because we will be collecting questions from you each week. Yes, Nico, we will. I'm very excited for this new format. So today's topic is basically about feeling overwhelmed, burned out, and needing a mental break. So let's talk about what burnout is. It's often characterized by a state of mental, emotional, and often physical exhaustion, brought on by a prolonged or repeated stress. We typically hear of burnout when referencing problems at work, but it can also appear in other areas of our life, such as parenting, caretaking, and romantic relationships. How do you know if you are burnt out? Sometimes things feel harder to do at times. Even this is something I've heard between my friends and even on social media. Just the simple act of answering a text can be harder nowadays. That's a great example, Nico. And actually, when we were discussing the topic for this week, I was feeling my own sense of burnout in a way, you know, just with the upcoming fall semesters for school. I know my children are going to be online only, so I have anticipatory anxiety of what it felt like before and what I'll be experiencing again, but also the idea of being a parent, negotiating COVID-19, social distancing, and of course, trying to have some sort of staycation, you know, before summer's over. So let's look at what happens when we experience physical and mental exhaustion. I know I often hear from clients that they feel this sense of dread about work. For example, this could be accompanied by feelings of anger or irritability. Sometimes there's a cynical view of their work. And even those in the helping professions, let's say doctors, first responders, and you know, now even with essential workers, maybe they notice a dwindling in compassion towards those that they care for. Also, some folks will often speak about feeling that they can no longer sometimes do their job effectively. Even prior to quarantine, most of us were already, let's just say, burning the candle at both ends. But now, with increasing pressures of screen time, doing you know, our Zoom calls and our virtual workouts and work from home realities, really, this is a heightened sense of work-life balance that's really has pretty much vanished. That's a really interesting point. And I actually heard from a relative recently that they felt that the idea of the home as a sanctuary has been thrown out the window since like the work life is encroaching on their home as a sanctuary, which is, I think a lot of people are experiencing this. 
So as far as the work burnout is concerned, what are some tips to either avoid burnout or help mitigate its effects if our listeners are already there? Well, you know, we've talked about this before, and I know our listeners are probably sick of hearing this either, you know, via emails, Instagram, or other maybe podcasts that they follow. But really, it's so important to set very clear boundaries between work and life. So for example, I know that this is super tough. I mean, I did it for the first time this weekend. And even though I don't practice strict psychotherapy anymore, I do more of integrative health counseling. It really was the first time I did not reply to text this weekend because I was feeling that own burnout myself. And it was really wonderful when I checked in with people Monday morning, they said, good for you, what a great act of self-care. So in that case, I am modeling behavior. But this is my point, not checking your email during off hours and truly experiencing a weekend, right? That's, you know, if you go back to the days of the Sabbath, whether it was Saturday or Sunday, depending upon your spirituality or your religiosity, it was meant to be a break from your week, right? And then again, looking at practices of self-care and truly allowing for adequate downtime. Then also look at if you have too many conflicting responsibilities. So I know it's really hard to say no, and this is very hard for you know a lot of the younger people that I counsel, because they either get their first job or they're in their job and they don't want to say no to a task, right? Because you're sort of taught to rise to the occasion, but it's a changing world, right? And there are ways to basically say no and reduce your workload even. Also, scheduling regular breaks so that if possible, you're starting at a certain time and you're ending at a certain time. It's really important to give the brain some time. Then you wanna look at minimizing multitasking. I mean, I'm always on the phone and doing laundry or you know, if I'm just talking on the phone, instead of just talking, I'm like, oh, I could be folding laundry or I could be watering my flowers. Well, that's multitasking I have to remind myself with. I'm not truly getting that antidoting of the stress, being present with a friend, catching up with somebody if I'm doing a few different things at once. So that's also really important. And it also helps to maintain your boundaries and reduce feelings of burnout. And also, as we've often said, Nico, really changing your mindset helps. So let's say you're in business and you say, okay, I am a financial advisor today, but when I click off at five o'clock, I'm a mom or I'm a partner to somebody. It's very, very important, again, for that brain to hear I'm switching gears. And then just lastly, you know, you might even want to try something that just feels completely different from work, right? So if it's possible, get up, move around, 
if it's possible to even just go outside and get that 10 minutes of sunshine on your eyelids. Maybe change your outfit, take a shower. You know, even a, a session with your animal, I even use that word, is very important. We are releasing oxytocin and, and truly getting into that rest and relax parasympathetic nervous system. And then just maybe lastly, if you are doing things at night, do something that just doesn't require a lot of brain power, but it needs to provide a contrast from what you do during your work day. So you can start to kind of downshift a little bit and get your body into that relax, restore, relax, digest, relax, and you know everything that we need to be doing optimally and functioning optimally as a human being. That's a great point. And like something that I personally do as a productive task that doesn't require that much brain power is washing my sheets. It makes me feel so accomplished. The other day I had a case of the Sundays and I just felt that the act of washing your sheets is just so, or whatever you're doing, laundry or pillowcases, it just makes you feel so accomplished once you do it. And I'm going to segue into some of the questions our listeners have asked on Instagram. And here's one. It says, I'm feeling burnt out as a parent and I can't help but feel kind of guilty. Is this normal? Well, Nico, what a great question. So thank you um, for whomever posted that. Jobs are not the only source of what we see as chronic stress that can cause burnout. Parents, partners, and even non-professional caregivers can experience exhaustion feel overwhelmed by their responsibilities, or sometimes we even feel like we've failed at our roles. I mean, I know I did this weekend, and, and sometimes I do on Mondays. I just said to my daughter, she was playing a video game with her friend, I know like you should be having fun, but like I just need one hour to record my podcast, please keep it down. But the whole time I'm feeling guilty that she's little and she should just be able to laugh and giggle with her friends. But these are forms of burnout when we kind of feel like we're failing as a parent or we're not doing something good enough. We can even experience relationship burnout, you know, which is probably another whole topic or another whole podcast. Whereas a lot of people were feeling that, you know, we've shifted from spending too much time together and then valuing the time together, but now we're feeling burnout together. And I'm going to call it non-work burnout when we're referring to a parent, for example. It's just less well-known and less addressed, so to speak, than what we might hear about in terms of career stress or burnout. But particularly related to parenting, it can make us sort of feel guilty, right? And we're, we're not suffering from a work-related stress, but we're still sort of blaming ourselves for this challenge that we're feeling. And we often hide this struggle, right, from other people. But burnout in any form can have consequences if left untreated or really unspoken about. So discussing it openly with a, a spouse, another family member, friends, a therapist, me, a life coach, is really the first step to addressing these symptoms and of course getting the needed help and avoiding negative outcomes. Parenting is very deeply rewarding but it also is very demanding and challenging and parents need to know that they need to balance work schedules, outside responsibilities, and their own well-being. 
and potentially a child's needs. And they can't do that without adequate support. That's a great point about parental burnout. And hopefully the person out there that asked that question, hopefully that helped you. And again, if you have any questions about the Restore Body Balance topics that we talk about each week, you can ask those questions on Instagram. We usually post it a few days beforehand, and this is the first time we're doing it, so I'm happy to see its success. And another Instagram question was, what are the physical symptoms of burnout? I'm constantly thinking I have (laughs) COVID-19. You know, I'm not laughing because that's not something to joke about, but it is something I literally hear at least once a day that, you know, I'm so tired, do I have COVID? Or, you know, that idea of just feeling totally fatigued. Because guess what? There are physical ailments that are associated with burnout. Don't forget what's happening, right listeners? And specifically to the person that asked the question. The body is continuously in this fight or flight mode. An emotional burnout can cause a change in our eating habits. I mean, remember, rest and digest, being in the parasympathetic nervous system, we can either rest or digest, right? So like we're, we're looking at resting and digesting or stress and digest, I should say. You can't do both, right? There's changes in our sleeping patterns. There are issues with maybe weight loss or weight gain, heart palpitations, high blood pressure, and headaches. Not to mention stress hormones are a very important part of our fight or flight that we are detecting threats in our daily life. But not only in the short term do they motivate us to take action uh, or to get that, you know, reported before the deadline, but that's the point, right? When the threat is resolved, the body is supposed to go back to the normal functioning state. That's what we talked about last week when we talked about inflammation. Some inflammatory responses are healthy and normal and keep us alive, like fighting off a virus or if we cut ourselves, but we just don't want to chronically stay inflamed. The same here, we just don't want to chronically stay in that stress-based response. That's putting oxidative stress and an allostatic loading on your body and our immune system. Actually, all of your major organs get that allostatic loading. That means high heart rate, high blood pressure, increased blood sugar, increased use of energy. You know, we already talked about what cortisol does to the body, and it's useful for fight or flight, but we just don't want a continuous release of this hormone. Again, things like adrenaline and norepinephrine, epinephrine, that all affects our digestive system, our immune system, and our reproductive system. That's a great point. And I will be asking a few more Instagram questions. One of them was, what are some ways we can avoid this burnout when we feel constantly stressed in between the pandemic, staying at home, working from home, and social distancing? Well, that's a wonderful question. Let's face it, we are all stressed on edge and tension is wreaking havoc in our bodies and our minds. So let's look at some tips to get that mental break that we so desperately need. You know, there's a phrase, right? The pursuit of happiness. Well, let's pursue meaning and not happiness. Let's find meaning and purpose in our lives, meaning and purpose in staying at home and social distancing and wearing a mask. That's important. You have to sort of, again, 
change that mindset, right? Instead of feeling that restriction, I can't, I can't, I can't, we're sort of doing our civic duty, right? We're doing that human, humanistic duty to care for our community and our neighbors and our loved ones. So pursue meaning, not happiness. Also, antidote stress by literally asking yourself these questions, and I'm gonna say them slowly. What made me feel happy today? What made me feel healthy today? What will make me feel connected today? Maybe that is going on Instagram and seeing what friends are doing. Maybe it's not because it can stir things up inside of us. Same for Facebook or any social media. Then also, what will give me a sense of purpose today? You know, I know these sound like goofy things, but they're the reason my book has a journal on the back that you so beautifully and creatively designed, Nico, because it's important for us to bookend our day, to wake up and, you know, have a sense of, of purpose and then go to bed and remember what brought us meaning and joy. And it's very, very important for us to do that. My favorite Peloton instructor often, you know, says, you know, I woke up today. I'm blessed. You know, like that's, that's the first thing he says is thank God I have feet that I can stand today and that I can get on my bike today. Some people don't have that opportunity. And that's Alex Toussaint, just to give him credit. And the other thing, you know, our listeners can do, and specifically for um, the person that wrote in this question, this is, again, it sounds goofy, but I promise you it's actually evidence-based. Okay, and I learned this from a friend and fitness professional. He's also a movement coach, a specialist in exercise science. His name is Mandla Nikosi, and he puts up what he calls a lifestyle wall. And so for him, it becomes a ritual and it's a lifestyle. So, you know, it's how many glasses of water did I drink today? Did I work out today? Did I stretch today? Did I breathe today? You know, what does my nutrition look like today? And again, it's not a negative thing. It's not supposed to berate us, but it's about coaching and accountability. And we need that reminder, especially to look at drinking water, being mindful, breathing, taking a break, just getting up, standing up from a desk, walk around your room. These are just really important things and having that lifestyle wall or certainly we've always said that we should have some sort of giveaway for a copy of my book. That's why the journal is there and that's why the second book we published was just the journal because after eight weeks people that did the program didn't want to lose their momentum so there's a second book out there too for for our listeners if they want to just grab the journal. Yes, there is. And in such uncertain times, Colleen, how can we antidote the daily stressors when there is so much unknown? Sometimes we don't even realize how much stress we are under until the stressor is removed. Take social media, for example. I know I used to be addicted to TikTok when it was at its peak. And then when I stopped watching those videos, I think my attention span got better. And I know Instagram for some has become kind of heavy recently. So maybe staying slightly more off the grid for a day or so could really change your perspective. Yes, Nico, and make your brain a happy place. 
right? Again, I know this all sounds very guru, holistic, but I can say with 100% certainty and honesty, as a licensed psychotherapist for over 15 years, I knew there was something missing. I knew what I was doing was working, but I just didn't have that roadmap to the brain to be able to explain to people this is why I'm doing it, right? Mandla is helping a family member of mine with some physical movement, and he always hops on a call with me to say, this is what I'm teaching the person, right? It's almost like going to physical therapy, and in order to, for physical therapy to work, you need to be performing your task, your end of the job, by doing it in between the sessions, right? And the more you do it, as prescribed, it works, which is why the book I wrote is called prescription for change, using your lifestyle as medicine. So part of that is making your brain a happy place. You know, there's that famous song, don't worry, be happy. Well, these days, it's not easy not to worry, right? Even though we know it's making us unhappy and uncomfortable, people that worry, worry because it keeps them in their minds safe, prepared and this is the funny thing i read once two steps ahead of harm so in a way it does right because they say you know i have a plan a i have a plan b i have a plan c and i have a plan d i think i read that in a psychology today uh, article recently but that's really the idea behind what worrying does it helps us stay motivated in a way or that we're on top of the game people that worry often have anxiety it's a comorbid situation so it is oddly familiar and reassuring when they come up with their own foregone conclusion if this happens then this happens and this happens or gosh i should have said this in the meeting or i should have said that to my friend when she made that comment you know and we run it and we run it and we run it and next thing you know we have this mini lifetime mini movie series or netflix series in our our head that we've just completely made up but worry does serve a very important purpose right it actually from a psychological standpoint allows us to avoid our negative feelings right worriers stay in this sort of prepared state but it's a low level of distress it's a protection in a way, even if it's uncomfortable. So again, coming up with solutions to a problem can be a challenge and intimidating because sometimes you may feel like the problem's too big to solve. But that's where we say, stop, breathe, reflect, and choose. And again, we're only amenable to this in the parasympathetic nervous system. So take a deep breath, do a four, seven, eight breath, and even perform my acronym, which is one. O is observe, N is to negate the thoughts, and then E is to echo. Say that new perspective over and over and over again. Hear it come back to you like an echo. So it's okay to give yourself time, listeners, to come up with your own effective solutions to what you consider to be the problem and trust that you yourself can solve the problem. But it's also okay to seek 
support from a loved one or a friend or anyone like a therapist or a coach that could give you the best advice regarding the issues you're struggling with. Yes, and here's another question from Instagram. It says, I have a job that I hate that doesn't really allow for 20 minute breaks like it's suggested in other jobs. How can I get a mental break? Well, I will say to this particular follower or listener, you can control stress. Your job does not dictate when you get a break. You can give yourself your own break. So if you're feeling chronically overwhelmed, try shifting your perspective. This is precisely why the chapters of my book are entitled Shifts. It's a paradigm shift. It's a cognitive shift in your mind. So instead of seeing stress as something on the outside pushing in, see yourself pushing it away gentle, loving kindness, but pushing it away. And this is an entirely scientifically based way of alleviating stress. So as I say again in my book, no one likes to get pushed or pulled. So some proven techniques would be rest and recover using what we call micro breaks. This is a real term to the person that asked the question. Research shows that people who take micro breaks are more productive and feel more energized. There was a study that was done 90 to 120 minutes of focused engagement in work tasks results in the body beginning to crave a period of rest and recovery. So your body will often tell you when you need to take a break. So for example, you might start to yawn, get sensations of hunger, or feel a lack of concentration. So when you notice these signs, take a micro break by mentally and emotionally detaching from work for two to 10 minutes. Micro breaks are even more restorative when disengaging from screens. So maybe it's not the best thing to go to your email or Instagram. You might want to try yoga or another calming practice like an outdoor walk, a walk around the room, just even stepping outside of your house and taking a deep breath. Like I said, petting a pet if you have one, listening to music, going to that lifestyle wall that Mandala introduced me to and finding a task to complete, even if it's just drinking a glass of water. I use the Apple Watch Mindfulness app to do one minute of breathing. It's a great micro break and you can see the reduction in your heart rate, instant results. What are some other ones? Yeah, I have mine set as well, Nico, on my Apple Watch. And instead of flicking it away, it just takes that one time to click on begin. And you'll notice those effects. And it's it's very satisfying and gratifying when you see your heart rate go down. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Some other things are completing a quick household chore, right? Or talking on the phone with a friend. Really, any activity that you enjoy and enables you to completely detach from work can help restore your energy. There is no one activity, mind you, that works for everybody. And research indicates that activities definitely need to fit with a person's goal and also their personality. And they also need to be varied. So if again, you're more socially isolative, you might 
find time reading alone to be more beneficial. Whereas people that are more, let's say extroverted, might need to spend their leisure time being social with family and friends. I know I can hang out with my friends every night of the week right now, but that's just me, Nico. Yeah, I find myself wanting both situations at different times. I'm an ambivert, but I lean towards being introverted for the most part. Yeah, okay, so that's good to know. So again, that goes to that individual goal and personality. You know, there was a study that I can't translate because it's in a different language, and I want to say it was performed in the Netherlands, but I just want to quickly read a few bits and pieces from the actual study, and if our listeners would like the link, I can email it to them because I certainly can't <laughs> pronounce it. But I'll just say this in summation, and I quote, In this study, the authors used a within-person design to examine the relationship between recovery experiences, meaning psychological detachment, relaxation, and mastery experiences during leisure time, sleep, and affect the next morning. So the daily survey data gathered over the course of one work week, 166 public administration employees and analyzed a hierarchical linear modeling approach that showed low psychological detachment from work during an evening predicted negative activation and fatigue, whereas mastery experiences during the evening predicted positive activation and relaxation predicted serenity. Also, sleep quality showed relations with all affective states. The study adds to research on job stress recovery and affect regulation by showing which specific experiences from the non-work domain may improve affect before the start of the next working day. So again, this just proves how important it is to sort of detach and rest and relax and rest and restore at night. That's a great study too. It's science supported. Are there any concluding remarks or tips for our listeners on taking a mental break? Yes, Nico. I will quote Abraham Lincoln, who said, most folks are usually about as happy as they make their minds up to be. It's a very important quote to sort of digest there for a minute. We need to be active participants in our lives. Antidoting stress needs to be a daily ritual. So whether it's the lifestyle wall or getting the journal or getting the book or getting the Apple Watch, you know, we need to be able to, you know, just even stand sometimes if we're used to sitting at our desk all day, um, breathe or getting apps like Calm where the, the app literally checks quote unquote, checks in with you once a day. And then of course there's ritual and repetition, which makes the practice of let's say yoga so empowering and transformative. As you breathe in and out, the repetition of the movement aligns your body and mind. So that's why it's so important for us to get some sort of ritual. Yes, and as you say in your book, sitting cross-legged on a buckwheat pillow can be hard for some people. So there are definitely some other exercises that we could turn into mindfulness activities in daily life, right Colleen? Yes, exactly. So like we said, 
folding laundry, making your bed. I recently went to the Adirondacks to visit some family and somebody taught me to change my sheets, speaking of sheets, Nico, um, before I left. So that when I came home, I came home to something fresh and I came home to a place that I wanted to be that was not, oh, now I'm back to, you know, the daily grind. I actually enjoyed coming back home and just having a very restorative sleep in my clean sheets upon coming home from a, a little weekend jaunt. Also, we talked about Dr. Wiles 478 breath that you can find on YouTube, just counting to 10 and back, just pause and take a moment to be present. I know that clients, when they sign up for one of my programs, they get all sorts of tools to help them ritualize this practice. Either it's a new quip toothbrush or a shower uh, set with an invigorating scent. These are things we do every day, but we wanna turn them into mindfulness moments. It may be a rollerball from Aveda or Origins or pinch me dough with a accompanying book that helps you build a pyramid or build a sphere. It's very exciting. And again, it's that habituated brain that eventually does it for you. So like I say in the book, Prescription for Change, our mind is always seeking a better life. So let's give it one. And one in the form of the acronym O-N-E, observe, negate, and echo. So when you learn to get into the relaxation response of rest and restore, rest and relax, rest and digest, rest and reproduce, let's face it, again, everything we need to do to live an optimal life, we need to be doing in that parasympathetic nervous system. So once you truly find that prescription that makes you feel better, your body and mind will eventually crave that to solve the problem, not going down the rabbit's hole or grabbing another cookie. Thank you, Colleen. You've taught us that the relaxation response is achievable, even with busy schedules or wearing many hats in life. There are so many innovative ways to incorporate mindfulness into our lives. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Restore Body Balance podcast. If you want to hear more from us, you can click the subscribe button. For more information on our programs and to read the book on change, you can visit us on the web at www.restorebodybalance.com. And don't forget to stay tuned on Instagram at Restore Body Balance to ask questions on next week's episode.